So where are you right now? Uh, I'm in uh, uh, Haugesund, uh, Norway. It's a coastal city. Uh, one of those picture-perfect uh, postcard cities on the water. Uh, islands just off the coast everywhere. Uh, small, lovely houses and uh, this is uh, not quite the, not quite an, an Oslo or something like that. Uh, just another, another town, another another city in Norway, um, and quite quite lovely. It's very cold here, of course. It is it is winter, but uh, just been walking the streets here recently. This is actually it's a Viking country. Viking kings lived uh, in Haugesund. Um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but you definitely sense um, some history going on here. And I've just been, um, I've been here for four days, uh, and for the last three of them, I've been trying to just absorb uh, the atmosphere. And, and you know, I, I've often been accused of not knowing uh, how to enjoy myself. <laughs> it's, uh, but I've been trying to do a little bit of that in the last uh, three days, being a little bit, uh, a little bit touristy, frankly. <laughs> yes, I, I have noticed, I have noticed that occasionally about you. Uh, but I'm wondering, you know, it's it's not like you to linger in an area for too long unless there's a good reason. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that you're there just for leisure. Um, is there something interesting happening there? You are correct. Uh, yes, I've been here for four days. Day one was different, however. Day one was different. Uh, I came here because I know I've never told you that I have a sister, an older sister, um, I, I came out here because of something to do with her. This is a place, this is a city that I have thought about visiting for about 20 years and I never quite felt right about coming here. The circumstances that drew me are a little bit um, unusual. I've just been so ambivalent for years about coming, but I finally realized that I had to do it. Um, my sister Emily... Uh, was addicted to drugs uh, for many, many years, starting uh, when she was a teenager. And uh, our, our relationship was, was fractured because of that. But some time ago, it's been about um, well, two decades now, she uh, found herself in, uh, in a strange narrative. She was in Austin, Texas. Uh, she was 25 or so, and she'd reached uh, the bottom of her journey. It was a ghastly time. Uh, she was homeless. She was squatting with two people she didn't know very well. They were squatting in a in an abandoned storefront in a strip mall. Uh, she told me that on, on one side there was... Uh, nationwide insurance office on the other side there was a liquor store and they were in between and they had been 
squatting in the front room of this empty space for a while. It was not a, not a great neighborhood. And uh, they had come to start to be menaced uh, by some sounds at night. They started to think that people knew where, that they were in there and there was going to be some kind of confrontation. But at that point, she was so strung out, she didn't have the energy or the interest to, to leave. And she was absolutely miserable. Uh, she cut off from me, our parents, long dead, nowhere to turn. Uh, one night, um, it was November, getting near Thanksgiving, she was asleep in that storefront, huddled in one corner, and she woke up, and she saw sort of a silhouette in the corner of the room, a very tall person that she, even in her Hayes recognized as not being either one of the people that she was squatting there with. And she was extremely weak, extremely hungry, and sort of caught half sleep, half waking. And this figure walked across the space to her, bent down and lifted her up very, very roughly. Uh, and she just found herself unable to fight back. She made some token attempt. But this man lifted her up and strode right out of the space into the street. Uh, and her memories of it were very, very rocky and very undefined. But she remembered uh, really not being able to, to cry out. She felt stifled. Uh, she was being carried on foot across the street. Then uh, she remembered them walking across a highway. She remembers looking up at the stars. Uh, she never got a look at this man's face. She would squirm in his arms, but he, she was locked in there. Um, there was no no gentleness to, to the man. And, and her images as, as she was carried along uh, became stranger and stranger. She lost track of time and space. She remembered walking down, a, for example, a, being taken down a country road in, in the arms. And then at one point, um, she thought they were in some sort of swamp. But the, it just went on and on. And um, she just couldn't seem to, to yell or, or fight back. The next thing she remembered, she was waking up on a very small beach. And somehow it was warm, uh, very warm. And the, the water was, was coming up to her feet, and someone was, was bent over her, asking her if she was all right. And she had woken up in a land that was not her own. She was in another part of the world entirely. Um, when the, the person who was, had knelt down to see if she was okay asked what, what the last thing she remembered was, she said that uh, a man had been holding her in his arms and had sort of thrown her very roughly onto the sand and then turned and left. It turned out she was in Norway. She was in the city that I am in right now, Hugson. She knew no one. She had no money. Um, she didn't understand where the time had gone. The calendar seemed to have been displaced around her. So she got a ride into the main area of town, which is where I'm staying now in a little bed and breakfast, very adorable. And not knowing what to do, she actually found herself checking into rehab. 
She went to a hospital, told them what her situation was, and that was when she made her first attempt at trying to get off drugs, her first serious attempt. Uh, she was there for two months in rehab, being taken care of, and when she got out, she felt uh, imbued, given something, some sort of chance, and she, I remember she was crying as she, as she called me. She didn't know what had happened to her, but she had no explanation for how she had woken up in this place. And she was telling me that she, she felt better and that she was going to try to, to make her way from there. And since that day, 20 years ago, when she woke up on that beach, uh, she did look at it as an encounter with some kind of, um, some kind of angel, this unidentified uh, person, but she was very clear to me in describing this story that this angel was not happy with her. This was not uh, a, a warm, glowing experience, uh, as if someone had come against their own will because they saw what had to be done to save her life, but they were not happy about it. Uh, she remembered being thrown down on that, that beach very, very vividly. And from that point on, she tried uh, over and over again to get off the drugs. And I think about five years after that encounter, she began to realize that if this, in fact, was an angel who did this for her, that, that it was only a beginning that had been offered and that the road was still going to be just as tough. And I think for years, she waited for that angel to come back and tell her something and show her another way. When she slipped back into, into using again, she thought, well, maybe the angel will come back. Uh, she knew she had failed, but the angel didn't come back. Uh, and at some point, I think it really hurt her very deeply to realize that there was not going to be a second deliverance. Something had come for her, and that was the only time it was ever going to happen that it was not an act of love, and it was not a promise. It was a one-time intervention uh, that would never be repeated. And when that sank into her, she, uh, she became lost and, um, and stayed that way. He received a message. How is not important, or at least that is an element he insists is not important. And since we're telling this now, and our energy is flagging and limited, we'll pass over it, as one would a frontage road or a very small town. So it doesn't matter how it came to him, and it doesn't matter why. Well, it does matter why. But we're not getting into that. Where? Okay. Well, we know now that does matter. We'll mention that the message appeared as a note on lined paper with the holes folded in a folding square. You know. The message was this note, word from an angel, and it was planning on appearing. And it had chosen him to appear, too. And there was a sight and a day, but not a time. 
He settled at the location in the late morning, already concerned it was too late. But he took it seriously, and he even arrived with a lunch, an actual paper bag, with a sandwich and a little plastic fold-over skin, an apple and a tiny bag of chips. As for a day of school, an echo to a helpless place. The humility of it, the waiting. By the underpass, the blue park. It finally showed up. But instead of materializing before him or dropping from air, he saw it staggering toward him, down the hall of the paved riverbed, with the shadows long as teeth leaning like drunks in the afternoon sun. It looked gray, lighter than the concrete around them. Something yellow, gold-colored, draped over its head. Come to meet me, it said. The note, I'll tell you what you need to do. He then lost his nerve. He hid. He scrambled up. Behind a hedge that lined the underpass, he crouched, peered. He sucked in air. A twig poked his face, dangerously. After forever, it did appear, and slowed and stopped just beneath the place he hid, folded, trembling like a fan. It was thin, wrapped in a pale, limp cloth, its yellow hair curled like a dead wreath, lax and lame. It swayed, listed on its spindle legs. He thought his heart was surely audible, would burst. I know you're here. Its head moved shallowly around on its weak neck. It seemed blind, unseeing. I can feel it. Will you show yourself? The eyes were rabbit eyes, red, blank. The afternoon was damp and opening. It had stormed before, one of those noontime tantrums where a burst of rain shared the sun. It was eerie, incongruent, and set everything steaming when the clouds shrank and went away. The angel gathered a labored breath and let it go. There's something I have to tell you. Something you should know. Why me? He thought. You'll see, it said, answering him. It was then he noticed the smell, sweet and sickly, like condensed milk, like vanilla taffy at a stinking shore. I'm afraid, he said. The thing staggered, turned its back to him, and sat down. It seemed to understand it might take a while, this process. He was, after all, only a human, and it was hard to get anything past his bulky skull. It looked painful, setting down carefully over the bones arranging its spidery legs in a basket, kickstand style, 
He could see it lower its head. The top spine bones pushed out. But it's good news, it said in a hiss. He began to lean on his hands, to slowly rise. You'll see. You'll love it. Some tiny rocks pressed into his palms. It's a miracle. Believe it or not, I actually, I do know the area where you are. Um, I've had some experience there. It was some years ago, different grounds. Uh, I was made aware some years back of, of a meeting that was going to be happening there uh, on the peninsula where you are, actually in, in the town where you are. Um, I met a group at a hotel. The idea was to go around that area, specifically the peninsula, and look at some powerful historical and political symbols of the area. Like, for instance, um, in Hagsund, the 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 flag and the coat of arms for that um, area that municipality uh, it is the same. It's it's the symbol of three seagulls, white on a blue background, and all you know all these different areas and towns do do have you know something like that to represent the area, and represent its history and industry. The idea was to explore some strange occurrences through that lens, like seeing how the phenomena in the area related to the adopted symbols. We went around um, and we're, we're listening to stories. Well, for instance, I, there's a few that I remember right now. Uh, there was a man who was discovered at work to be wearing these heavy chains under his clothes. And when he was asked about it, he, he claimed that without them, he would involuntarily levitate, like possibly go flying through the air. And he said that he, he preferred to do that when he was in his own company. And he didn't want this, this special ability of his to be discovered and to cause anyone to be afraid of him. I remember a woman who holed herself up in her unfinished basement uh, because she said she'd been sneaking out at night to pray and that she would fly out over the fields and the neighboring farms. One night she had, she said she had inadvertently seen something that she shouldn't have, some sort of human behavior that she believed wasn't meant for her eyes. And she became convinced that she uh, needed to do penance. And then there was a boy who... He used to sit for these long hours 
on the roof of his house in these kind of strange bird-like positions outside his window. Um, and one day his mother was approaching the house. She was coming up the drive and she saw him up there and he stuck out his arms like wings and jumped off. Of course, she panicked and she was running toward the house, but somehow he, she couldn't see him then. He disappeared around the side of the house inexplicably. And when she ran around the side of the house, she saw him. He was completely unharmed. In fact, he was standing by the, by the clothesline and kind of smoothing down uh, and brushing off his, his good shirt. Um, so these stories had a couple things in common. They were tales of, they were bird-related tales or flight-related or levitation-related. And, of course, that's related directly to our study of symbols like coat of arms and flags. Um, and also the people at the center of these stories believed themselves to be saints, uh, which is different than your angel, but I think related. Ironically, of all the stories I remember and I heard when I was there, the one that has really stuck with me, um, I was talking to, to a, a fellow diner one evening, and she was telling me the story of when she was a young girl, she, she found herself very fascinated by stories of the saints and their, their, their sacrifice and, and intensity and purity of vision. And so she would play around, you know, with, she'd, uh, you know, make little altars in her room. Her, her room was uh, uh, upstairs, um, and she could, you know, she, she would make altars and light candles and put, you know, pictures of saints, you know, kind of around her room, adorning it. And she, one night, there was a fire in their house, and it was in the middle of the night, so she was pulled out of sleep. They did end up losing their house, but no one was hurt. Anyhow, the, the, the reason for this fire, or so, his, so her father told her, was that she hadn't properly extinguished one of, her, one of her candles, one of her weird saint candles, I think he said. But years and years later, at some sort of a holiday gathering, it came out that that hadn't been the reason for the fire at all. It was... It was something electrical, and her father knew that. And so he, for some reason, allowed her to believe all these years that the fire that took their house was her fault. And um, somehow I just, I just find that almost more chilling than, than any of these other stories. They met at the airport, found a car, and she drove them through the snowy night toward their town. He had arrived first, the terminal all fluorescent, marble floored, until the flat green carpet silenced his feet. He rolled his suitcase past the newsstand, the collegiate apparel store where sweatshirts floated, bent-armed behind glass. It was late and the shops here were closed. 
their chains pulled down across doors. He sat in a cupped vinyl chair by the rubber plants and waited. When she arrived from the direction of her gate, she looked like winter, all milk and blush and messy hair captured beneath her coat, slipping out around her neck. He thought reflexively of sledding, of screeling down the rise by the football field in their plastic discs. They could spend hours back then, days. They could build whole worlds, shaken when their parents called them home. It was Christmas time. Shall I tell you now? She asked, reaching forward to compress the cigarette lighter. A small red halo appeared in the panel in front of them. Shall I tell you about the angels? Of course, he said. Well, you know when we were kids and I was sick and I didn't come to school? Sure, he nodded. The snow looked like tiny bugs whirling by. At night, I used to open my curtains, lie there, and look out the window. I pushed my bed closer so I could see the sky. Mostly I couldn't see the stars, but sometimes I could. It was really quiet. I started catching these weird splotches of, like, light, but different. Like some skinny little fish were circling down to me through water. One night I kneeled up on my bed and I could see something standing in the backyard. Or I thought it was standing, but it was gliding back and forth. It was horrible. It looked burned, cut up. Like its pieces were pushed back together all wrong. I screamed, I think. I don't quite remember. Nobody believed me. There weren't any snow tracks. My fever was bad. But I realized later that it was an angel and that maybe it was there because I might die. They were like vultures in the desert, circling round. He did remember that year, hauling double loads of books from school and dropping them off on the porch of her house, though she couldn't study much and had to make things up later. But back then, it felt like the only thing he could do, that tending. I think we might see some tonight, she said. Or if not tonight, by the weekend. By the time we leave, watch for them. They will make a little sound. Yeah, I'm, I'm just still trying to get over the coincidence that you have been in this city. It's not exactly a traditional destination. I think this may be the only place that where you and I have both trod the ground different times, as they say, and then I find myself walking along churches and, and, and cathedrals. Uh, so I, I, I guess I've, I've wound up in a place that I wasn't 
wasn't quite expecting. Um, I suspect that some time over the next day, two days, or a week, that I will start to realize it's simply time to go home and that sometimes I have to remind myself that those little connections are never made, that the feeling I want to come never does come, the knowledge I'm seeking never does arrive, and I have to be left with just traces and hints, little puzzle pieces that maybe I'll put together 10 to 15 years from now. That's what I have to hope for. For example, even as I speak to you, I told you I'm in this little bed and breakfast. It's a very nice little quiet residential neighborhood. I, I'm actually looking out the window right now. It's, 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 it's pretty late. <laughs> uh, it's dark out there. It's very cold. But uh, across the street, under this lamplight, there's a, there's a woman. She's going to be a young woman. Uh, she's just been standing there, looking in the direction of this house. Just, just been standing there for about seven or eight minutes. Uh, and she's got a dog on a leash, a little dog with her on a leash beside her. And the dog hasn't really uh, made any movement in any particular, particular direction. The dog is just sitting beside her. And based on the things we've talked about, of course, I wonder, is she real? Is she just going to disappear from under that street light and, and as if giving me a sign that something is going on here that's beyond my comprehension? Could she be a spectral visitor with a mysterious message? I, I'm tempted, you know, if you have nowhere to be, I'm tempted to just stay on the line here and, and and keep watching her. She's still, still looking at the house, still looking at this direction. She's not doing anything, not saying anything, not making any movement as she stands there with her dog in the cold. I just, if you don't mind, I just, I just, yeah, I just want to wait. I just want to wait. A Guide to Your Saints, Volume Unknown. Nash, saint of wild seas coming ashore under moons. Sunny, saint of women with razors in their braids. Zelia, saint of hairdos and thick green bottles of coke. Reuben, saint of solids in the sink after meat. Parker, saint of ink on the tongue to fight egg. Zeppelin, saint of you, saint of me. Phoenix, saint of hard blasts that make the quarries deep. Archer, saint of windshields and diamonds and glass. Rory, saint of vodka, saint of ice. Oscar, saint of warlords in the wedding soup. Nova, saint of silent blue threads in the blanket at dawn. Sarah, saint of builders, their lunches in sun. Yara, saint of laughing at the bad luck of neighbors. Layla, saint of sorry, saint of plain. 
olive, saint of refrigerator light and beads, cadence, saint of college, saint of fields, walker, saint of wheat when the craving is corn, Ursula, saint of poor milk gone to curd, Peyton, saint of music filling the car at night, the hills over towns, Shane, saint of the why bother and the spit, Iris, saint of Tuesday morning, the grocery store aisles, Levi, saint of scalding pizza standing at the counter before sleep, Talia, saint of teeth, saint of breath, saint of can't stop, Grayson, saint of the nape of the neck and trains, Harley, saint of the uncomfortable coffee on the sick porch, Finn, saint of who's that on the phone, of what does he do for you that I don't, Sloan, saint of palms, saint of salad, Ezra, saint of TV on for hours in the den, Clara, saint of the world on a string, Autumn, saint of new apartments, of disappearing lawns, Logan, saint of flat paint and popcorn ceilings and fans, Blake, saint of beauty, saint of strain, saint of mistakes you can't help making, Frankie, saint of cheap detergent, of fading clothes, Freya, saint of salty meals from boxes, saint of tears, Elias, saint of wages, of the golden leaves on the street, of being boring, of turning into mob.